Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thank you for joining us here today on Agriculture of America, AOA. Great to have you along for the conversation. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. We have a lot to talk about on today's program. Coming up in segment two, we're going to talk markets, get big picture perspective with Ted Seifert from Zaner Ag Hedge. Looking forward to that conversation. In segment three, we're going to talk ag policy, get an update on what's going on in Washington, D.C., and more. Chris Clayton with DTN going to join us for a conversation coming up after the bottom of the hour. Then at the end of the show today, we're going to have a conversation with NCBA Chief Veterinarian Dr. Kathy Simmons. So all that and more is on the way here today on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, it is a diesel that doesn't mess around. Learn more online at Cenex.com. Kicking off the program today, though, we're going to learn more about the Engine Technology Forum formerly known as the Diesel Technology Forum. What's behind the change and more? Well, here to give us the insight, Executive Director of the Engine Technology Forum, Alan Schaefer is with us here on the program today. Alan, thanks for joining us on AOA. We appreciate the time. Hope you're doing well. Great to be with you. I'm doing super. Thanks for having us. So we changed the name and Engine Technology Forum now. It was, as I mentioned, Diesel Technology Forum. So Get us up to speed. Uh, what's behind the name change here? I know very exciting things going on. Sure. Well, you know, uh, 23 years ago, uh, the leaders in the diesel industry, engine manufacturers and fuel producers and suppliers got together and said, you know, um, we need to have a voice for diesel out there that we're, you know, we're getting attacked by environmental groups because of their perception that diesel is the, the main cause of problems with air pollution um, where you know regulators are coming at us full bore and don't really understand how important diesel is to the economy or how efficient that we're making it, um, we need we need an organization that's dedicated to getting that story out there, and so that's how we got started um, again 23 years ago, um, and today we find ourselves you know having evolved dramatically since the beginning where today advanced diesel technology is near zero emissions and. Uh, the kind of issues that we were dealing with in in the early 2000s, you know, have um, have evolved um, as has the industry. And you know, I think there was a feeling in in part of the membership that you know diesel is still a core part of our work and our messaging and all that. But these days, it's really important that we put a broader communication effort out there and education about the importance, the continued importance of the internal combustion engine not just diesel, but gasoline, natural gas, and how the, the internal combustion engine can use both you know, renewable fuels like biodiesel and, and things like hydrogen, uh, burning in internal combustion engines or some of the new e-fuels that are, that are being developed that offer some potential promise. So um, it was a feeling that you know, the debate has changed. Mm-hmm. We're, you know often find ourselves being pitted against you know, it's, it's combustion technologies versus electric. So um, this is a way to, you know, position the organization to have a broader platform and voice to uh, uh, to be engaged in the issues of of today. So we're delighted to be here and um, got, uh, you know, all the same members uh, still part of the work that we're doing, and uh, we look forward to uh, great opportunities in the in the months and weeks ahead. Well, to your points, Alan, uh, you know, it's not necessarily diesel's a key component, like you said, but so many uh, different fuels out there now and i i think this evolution of you know biofuels biodiesel and etc cetera, etc cetera, uh it's really playing such a key role now and there's a, a lot of excitement surrounding the expansion of that side of the industry so to your points it, it seems like a no-brainer to, to shift the focus a little bit here to encompass more than just diesel I, you know, I've heard that no-brainer phrase a lot so far this uh, the last few days. So you're right <laughs> on target there. <laughs> but you know, it does it, it reflects really where we are in this moment, right? That yeah. you know, we have a um, a lot of focus and attention on sustainability, how we can achieve a reduced carbon future. You know, what strategies, uh, technologies, and fuels are going to get us there? And you know, we're sitting on top of an industry and technology that today numbers 
well over 300 million units uh, around the world. And, and that's probably just the on-highway segment, not even counting the, the, the tens or hundreds of millions of, of off-road engines and equipment that all share one thing in common, and that is that they are internal combustion engines. So with a population like that, we can assume uh, maybe pretty safely a couple of things. One is um, it's not going away anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of the, the sheer magnitude and size of it. Um, and we know that there's there are plenty of emerging fuels and technologies coming on the scene. And the, the, sometimes the media coverage about that is, is you know, uh, somewhat over the top, really, in terms of uh, what, what it really is. And, you know, when, um, yes, the uh, uh, trucking fleet might have, you know, um, put five new electric, all electric trucks into service last week. What they didn't tell you was that they had another 9,000 trucks that were still powered by diesel. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, you know, that's going to be the world we're going to live in going forward, I think. And that is where advanced internal combustion engines and innovative fuels are going to coexist right alongside some of these new and emerging technologies. And if some of those technologies really take off, like folks claim that they might, um, then that'll be a good thing for the customers that choose to use those. Um, but in the meantime, we need to continue to, to do our work, to, to keep our economy going, to grow our food, um, transport our goods to market. Um, and the technologies that are doing that best today are the, all those powered by internal combustion engines. So uh, the future is about coexisting with new fuels and technologies. And, uh, you know, we, we see the continued um, improvement of internal combustion engines and lots of work going on in the fuel side. So Big Mm -hmm. things to come. A lot of great things you guys are doing. And uh, before we let you go here today, anything final you would share uh, with folks who are listening in here, Alan? Absolutely. And I I think, you know, it's uh, as as there's a popular country song out there right now that's, uh, you know, we're all fishing in the same hole, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That uh, we all see the value in in a clean environment, clean water and clean air. And uh, one where we can have continued, you know, productivity and and uh, live a high quality of life and and bring that higher quality of life to others. And so, you know, how do we do that? And um, this uh, this technology um, is uh, the thing that's built the modern society that we enjoy today, the internal combustion engine. And I think it's going to continue to contribute to to that tomorrow because, you know, we are we are all in this together to. Uh, um, to have you know a productive and, and safe and healthy future, and um, we need this technology. We need it to improve, and we need to change the fuels that it uses sometimes. And uh, there's great promise ahead for internal combustion engines and fuels, and um, and uh, and we'll see how the alternatives fare. But um, you know we got to we got to embrace all the solutions, uh, no matter what they are and when they're available. So. Um, that's, uh, that's how we see the future here from the engine technology forum. Well, again, the engine technology forum, formerly the diesel technology forum, you can see the resources they have available and much more online engine tech forum.org that's engine tech forum.org and the executive director of the engine technology forum, Alan Schaefer. Thanks for joining us here on AOA today. We'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Great. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. All right, coming up next on AOA, brought to you by Senex Baxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. We'll talk markets with Ted Seifert from Zaner Ag Hedge on the way right after the break. On the October episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we continued our discussion about sustainable aviation fuel. Sarah McKay from National Corn Growers Association talks about some of the work they are doing on the policy side. We work really closely with policymakers to make sure that tax credits that are available are available to help promote corn ethanol to be used for these processes, and in particular, the adoption of the GREAT model as the carbon accounting method to help bring these technologies and, and bring these opportunities closer to the marketplace. Lindsay Bowers with NCGA's Market Development Action Team provides some of the farmer and grain merchandiser perspective to SAF and corn. From farmer and merchandiser point of view, market development is huge and significantly impactful for what it can mean for agriculture. Getting it to the point where it's consistently and reliably used. It's a game changer. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association. It's a show you don't want to miss. 
In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Senex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. All the uh, market trade gearing up for the October World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates Report. That will be out Thursday morning at 11 a.m. Central Time. Here to give us uh, thoughts on the market uh, sentiment and give us perspective here ahead of the report, we welcome in Ted Seifert from Zaner Ag Hedge. Ted, great to have you on AOA with me. Hope you're doing well. I am doing well, Jesse. Thank you for asking, and I am glad to be here. Thanks for having me, buddy. Well, let's dive in and talk about this. I really wanted to get your thoughts and perspective in this market trade. Uh, kind of choppy here in grains, which really isn't too terribly surprising considering uh, we got this report coming up on Thursday. It just feels like we, we typically see that within 24, 48 hours of a report from USDA. A lot of traders just kind of square up their positions in anticipation of what USDA may or may not say on Thursday. Yeah, absolutely. You know, report week, we kind of expect sort of choppy two-sided trade. Uh, although I will say there's some technical stuff going on too, right? I mean, you had corn try to break out to the upside uh, last Thursday, you know, based on a ship hitting a mine in the Black Sea. Uh, but we saw zero follow through from that. And we've given back most of those gains since then. And now we are really threatening to put a false breakout on a corn chart. And if we do, if we get a close below last Thursday's low, I think you almost automatically have to go and test those lows in corn and very likely break through them. So we're going to be setting ourselves up at a very pivotal point going into this report tomorrow. Um, and that report probably gonna dictate how we're gonna trade here for the next couple of months. Uh, similar for soybeans, you know, soybeans are trying to sort of consolidate at this near-term low. But man, they've had a hard time getting up off the mat. You know, yesterday had that reversal higher day, but we are not following through as of yet today, down nine and a half cents at the moment. Uh, and really at risk of taking out this longer term double bottom that we have from the low in the middle of late June uh, to the low that we just put in yesterday, but, but we're able to reverse off of. Well, you know, we talk about dead cat bounces, right? The fact mm -hmm. that we're not able to follow through today is not a good sign. I don't know if we'll break that low before we get to the report tomorrow, but we're setting ourselves up from a technical standpoint. And this is the point, Jesse, but we're setting ourselves up from a technical standpoint where we're going to need a positive report. And if we don't, you got some, you got some chart trouble here almost immediately. 
Well, I know we do our best to try and uh, outguess what USDA is going to say with every report and, you know, whatever USDA throws us, that's what we're going to have to trade off of. But we do our best to try and at least have an idea ahead of the report. I know that uh, the analyst expectations, uh, the Reuters expectations, those are out. What are those looking like, Ted? Yes, and you're right, Jesse. Um, you know, I, I, I have a saying that uh, predicting the future is an SOB, uh, and that is exactly the case when it comes to trying to predict the USDA numbers. Uh, and something about the Reuters numbers that I, I like, um, I was actually, I am, I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm part of, uh, I'm one of the analysts that contributes my guesses in front of a report. And actually, mm -hmm. back a few years ago, uh, when they were trying to decide should we be predicting what the USDA is going to say, or should we be asking analysts for their specific numbers? Um, I, I kind of, I, I chimed in on that conversation with them and I said, why not do both? So we do, they do both. They have a predicting USDA, USDA number, which is the number that we're guessing what the USDA is going to say on this specific report. And then we have our own estimates. And what I'm looking at in between, I, so I like looking at those because I think there's some read between the lines stuff going on there. You know, so for example, um, you want to start with yield or ending stocks? Mm -hmm. I, think, well, I think there's stuff you know, to take away from both. Let's start with yield, Ted. What, what are we saying yield-wise? Okay, so uh, on average, the, the average trade guess is looking for a little bit lower yield in both corn and beans. Um, I, I think that's sort of been the predominant you know, mindset mm -hmm. since we saw the September WASDE report. However, I think there have been some yield reports, you know, as guys are going through, yes, you certainly do have some, some uh, worse than expected yields. And, and I'm, I'm looking at you, Nebraska, some areas of dry land, Nebraska that have been in drought for multiple years now are coming up with yields that have been disappointing. That's not a shocker to anyone, but what is surprising is say the guys in, in, north central northeastern iowa that were under that dark red d3 d4 drought conditions uh coming up with yields that are actually not so terrible at least that's been my experience with the guys that i'm talking to mm -hmm. but the average trade guess for corn yield on this report is a 173.5 that would be down from usda's september number of a 173.8 what i think is interesting is that when i go to the analyst own estimates. Again, this is not predicting the report. This is just kind of what we think overall the final number is going to be. Mm -hmm. The average trade guess there is a 173.7. So it's not coming down as much as what we're thinking it comes down on this report. For soybeans, the average trade guess is a 49.9. That would be down from the USDA's September number of a 50.1. So, mm -hmm. you know, two tenths of a bushel lower. But again, if I go to the analyst's own estimates, they're at 50. We're at 50, however you want to say that. Sure. So yeah. the analyst's own estimates are not as bullish as what the guesses are for this report. And to me, Jesse, that says we kind of might be setting ourselves up for a little bit of disappointment on what the USDA might give us on this report. Because I, I do feel like analysts try to outguess the USDA when in, in reality, we should probably just be using our actual number. Because I think more often than not, we're closer with our actual number than the predicting the USDA number. I don't yeah. have stats to back that up, by the way. But it just says something to me that, you know, analysts are feeling like the USDA could be a little bit too aggressive on lowering yield on this report. Mm -hmm. But then ultimately those. Ted, I think we just lost you. Are you still with us there? All right. Well, we uh, just lost Ted Seifert with Zander Aghead. We were talking about the USDA report coming up here on Thursday. Ted, you back with us? Yes. Yeah, sorry about that. No, so, no. Uh, yep. let's go over to the ending stocks. I know uh, you were right. you were just wrapping up the yield side. How does yep. this impact the ending stock side, Ted? So you have a very similar scenario on ending stocks, right? Uh, you've got average trade guesses predicting the USDA for corn looking at 2.138 billion bushels. That's down from the USDA September number of 2.221 billion bushels. So we're looking for a reduction in new crop ending stocks. Mostly, uh, again, I, I we don't see everybody's individual balance sheet, but we know mm -hmm. that with the quarterly grain stocks, which is our final, uh, it, it's our old crop carryover, right? Which is also new crop beginning stocks that came in 92 million bushels lower than what the USDA had been saying uh, on the September report. 
So we know that we're immediately taking 92 million bushels off the new crop balance sheet in the form of beginning stocks. So, you know, we should be expecting a lower number. And we are. Uh, again, the, the average trade gets 2.138 billion bushels down from a 2.221. But there, too, you look at the average uh, trade guess for analysts' own guesses, and it's a mm-hmm. 2.187, so about 50 million bushels higher than what analysts are expecting the USDA to say on this report, which, again, tells me that you know maybe we're setting ourselves up on the average trade guesses for you know what the report's going to say. Mm-hmm. We might be setting ourselves up for, for a little bit too bullish of an expectation. Very similar thing in soybeans. Uh, mm-hmm. Average trade guess is a 233 million bushel carryover compared to the USDA in September at 222. That also is a direct reflection of quarterly grain stocks coming in a little bit higher than expected. Sure. Uh, and then you look at the average trade guesses for analysts' own, you know, their final number, 242. So, you know, we're looking for a higher number, final number compared to what we're expecting on this report, which again, I don't know, makes me wonder if, uh, if we, if we, we, if we were too aggressive on cutting the yield, mm-hmm. um, or if ending stocks numbers are going to come at, come in higher than what the trade guesses are for this report. And so, yeah, it doesn't leave you with a good taste in your mouth, especially yeah. when you go back to what we talked about before we got into the, the numbers for the expectations here from a chart perspective, we are not set up, uh, in a good spot. So we need a bullish report. And I think the odds of getting a bullish report are, are well, a, a little bit tough because, again, mm-hmm. you know, you look at the breakdown of how the estimates are put together and it doesn't make you feel like we're going to see the USDA come in and, and, and overproduce and give us lower yield numbers than what we're talking about or lower carryover numbers. Now, we yeah. could all be wrong. These are analyst guesses. Analysts don't know, you know. Uh, S from Shinola, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we could be totally wrong. The USDA could slash yield a bushel per acre in in soybeans, and all of a sudden we have a much different story, and off we go. You know that is that is yeah. a possibility. That's been the war cry from the bull camp for yep. a couple months now. Uh, so that that could happen. But I will I also would... say that this report is sort of the last chance for that to happen, at least between now and February. Definitely. Or, or, or I'm sorry, January. Yeah. So. Again, this report sets the tone. A lot to take in. Have to be cautious ahead of the report. Ted Seifert, Xander Aghedge, we're out of time in this segment. Thanks for joining us on AOA today. We appreciate it. All right, coming up next, we are going to talk with Chris Clayton from DTN here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Back with more right after this. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts in farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. The grains are mostly lower this morning ahead of tomorrow's USDA WASDE crop report. Soybeans are leading the descent there. Livestock is mostly higher. Feeders leading the complex there. Now, tomorrow we will get USDA's October WASDE crop report. The primary focus in the report will be the corn and soybean production estimates. Average trade guess going into the report will be that USDA will modestly reduce its corn yield to 173.5 bushels per acre. That's down from 173.8 in September, while cutting its soybean yield to 49.9 bushels per acre, down from 50.1. Now, those numbers are programmed into the algos, and they will respond accordingly whether USDA's numbers come in above or below those numbers. 
But the most significant data may be USDA's corn and soybean export targets for the 23-24 marketing year that began on September 1st, as Brazil continues to dump large quantities of both crops onto the world market. Soybean shipments from Brazil are slowing, but they're still above levels typically seen this time of year. Meanwhile, corn shipments continue to ramp up, especially to China. China typically leans on Ukraine corn for its import needs, but that's been more difficult since Russia pulled out of the Black Sea Grain Initiative. There are unconfirmed reports that China recently made a significant purchase of corn from Ukraine, perhaps as much as 1 million metric tons, but China typically buys much more than that, so it's been leaning heavily on Brazilian supplies while taking periodic cargoes from the U.S. China's corn needs, however, may be declining based on reports from inside the country that this year's crop is much bigger than anticipated. USDA currently calls for a Chinese crop on par with last year's crop, while China's official estimate puts it up 8 million metric tons. Private estimates, though, in China are putting the crop 15 to 20 million metric tons above last year's crop, with some as high as 25 million metric tons higher than the 2022 crop. The dollar and crude oil are both pulling back this morning. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And thanks for sticking with us here on Agriculture of America AOA, brought to you by SEDEX Premium Diesel. SEDEX Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. It's a busy time of year with harvest season rolling along. Make sure you have the right diesel and enough diesel on your operation to keep you fueled here during this busy time of year. You could do that with Cenex Premium Diesel. Everyday products powered locally. Find your nearest location online very easily. Cenex.com. Well, right now we want to turn our attention to uh, some ag policy issues, such as the farm bill. Are we going to be able to get one done by the end of the year? Are we looking at a full one-year extension? And a few other topics. Joining us now to discuss DTN Ag Policy Editor Chris Clayton is with us here on AOA Today. Chris, it's great to have you on the show for a conversation. Hope you're doing well. And doing all right. And, uh, thanks for having me this morning. Well, Chris, let's dive in and uh, first talk about that farm bill. I know you uh, spent some time in Northeast Iowa on Tuesday uh, with Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack talking uh, there, and I know he talked about the farm bill. What's what's the latest you're hearing? Are are we looking at a full-on one-year extension or possibly longer? Are we going to maybe get something done by the end of the year? What did uh, Secretary Vilsack have to say on Tuesday? Well, I think uh, the the secretary just basically, you know, encouraged Congress to look at some sort of extension before December 31st. He didn't say full uh, full one year extension. Um, and uh, you know, I think that the committees are going to have to figure out just how close they are uh, at this point. You know, where we don't have anything that's passed out of either committee at this point. Um, you know, so we have no idea what either um, the Senate or the House is uh, is laying out there. Um, you know, so we have no idea what even conference negotiations might look like. Uh, so realistically, uh, you, you definitely want to get some sort of farm bill extension done uh, between now and December 31st. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know the secretary, uh, while he was talking there in Northeast Iowa yesterday, was uh, uh, talking about a, a new grant to help expansion plans for upper Iowa beef. So talking about uh, a lot of rural development type funding and more. Could you uh, could you share what he had to say uh, just about some of that uh, rural development funding as a whole? I know some of those USDA programs have have been on the chopping block in D.C. with uh, the appropriations process going on. Yeah, I, I think that was kind of the strategy yesterday. Um, you know, he goes up there to focus on a, a grant uh, for uh, Upper Iowa Beef, uh, 400 uh, head a day packing plant. But um, but they talked about a lot of other USDA uh, rural development programs, and, and that was really the emphasis was to kind of stress that uh, um, these programs are looking at potential cuts um, under the House uh, Appropriations Bill that right now you know couldn't pass even before this whole speaker mess began. So uh, so you've already lost some even some republicans think these cuts uh, are a little too steep um the uh i was noticing the uh, the iowa delegation all four republicans had voted against that spending bill when it came on the floor at the end of september so so you know the house is kind of gridlocked on this stuff they want to make cuts but uh it, it's tough to make some of these cuts we're talking with DT and Ag Policy Editor Chris Clayton here today on AOA. Chris, I want to switch gears a little bit. Uh, I know you cover a lot of different topics uh, there at DTN. And one topic that we, we heard a lot about uh, back during the summer, and it's been kind of a, a quiet topic as of late, is the Bungie-Vitera merger. I know you just uh, wrote an article here last week on uh, – on the DTN website about this. And it uh, sounds like there's uh, a lot of Canadian farmers that aren't too happy with this merger. They want some more scrutiny of this deal between uh, these two giants in Bungie and Viterra. Yeah, it, it's interesting because we have not heard that much at all in the U.S. Um, despite the, um, uh, the size of this merger, we have not heard from U.S. producer groups raising any kind of questions like that. But it was interesting that, you know, particularly in Saskatchewan, uh, where I guess both, both Viterra and Bungie have operations, um, there there is a lot more concern about the, about the impacts that this will have on uh, transportation, um, and uh, and obviously prices. So it was interesting that uh, the Canadian producers and the Canadian uh, Transportation Ministry were the ones that uh, really said they're going to take a closer look at this uh, this merger. Do we think that with Canadian officials reviewing the deal, could that potentially put a snag into this deal? To your point, not hearing a lot from the U.S. side, um, could. Could the Canadian side, though, possibly hold up this deal? And or could it, you know, cause U.S. regulators to maybe take a closer look at this deal? Well, I, I think the U.S., uh, you know, uh, Justice Department is looking at it, but they don't really ever say a whole lot until they, uh, uh, until maybe they have, they have found some problems or something. Um so it, it's been very low key on the U.S. side of just what maybe is being looked at. Uh, I think it's more the interest, the fact that the uh, the producer groups have not been very vocal on the U.S. side. Uh, the Canadian side, uh, they have a policy, they have a rule that you know if they're looking at it, they've got to have their decision done within 250 days of when they make that sort of announcement. So. Uh, It'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, generally, I, I think in some in this kind of situation, if they see conflicts, they might say, "Well, the merger can go through, but maybe you've got to sell this grain elevator, or maybe somebody else has to take over this uh, uh, particular operation, this soy crushing plant, or something because of uh, competition." But it would be in particular locations where there might be. Um, you know, Viterra and Bungie might be too close. I know Viterra is mm -hmm. very big up in Canada. Um, I don't think they're quite, obviously, as maybe big in the United States. 
Well, and a lot of assets there, and it was reported when this uh, merger was announced, uh, it would close sometime in uh, mid-2024, and uh, the value was around $18 billion, so definitely uh, quite a bit there in terms of assets. Chris, as well, before we um, let you go here today, we do appreciate the time. I know, uh, like I mentioned, you have a lot of stories you work on. There's a uh, story, a Dealer Trust Act uh, facing its first test case. Uh, I believe it's a case uh, out of, uh, well, combined, a cattle operation in Kentucky and Texas. Can you tell us a little bit of background on this and and what we uh, could be looking at in regards of the Dealer Trust Act? Yeah, I wasn't uh, at all very familiar with the, the Dealer Trust Act. That uh, that got passed um, in a funding bill um, and um, just kind of uh, slipped under everybody's radar a little bit. But it's um, it, it is meant basically to help protect uh, cattle producers who make sales to somebody, um, you know, that ends up um, quickly either being dissolved or something happens in which they're not paying. Um, we've had a lot of cattle situations in the past, uh, particularly the one that comes to mind off the top of my head is uh, there was a place called Eastern Livestock, which was a dealer that worked with a lot of smaller producers uh, back um, maybe 10 or 12 years ago mm-hmm. that went bankrupt. And that affected a lot of pro- smaller producers in Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, Ohio, Indiana, and, and so on, all of whom, you know, these are guys who might be selling, you know, 20, 30, 50 head of cattle at a, a sale barn. And then they all basically lost money because when a situation like that goes into bankruptcy, the the bankers, the secured creditors become first in line. Well, this law supposedly bumps up these people um, ahead of line saying if you've sold cattle, you know, within, you know, a certain time period before this uh, insolvency happened, um, you deserve the right to get to have money put in a trust for you guys because uh, you guys were caught up in this situation mm-hmm. and that was not your doing. Um, so it's a, this is the first really big test case because this case out of Kentucky and, um, and a couple of big feed yards in Texas, um, you know, involves uh, people who sold millions of dollars for the cattle to a producer that ends up looking like more like a Ponzi scheme and a check kiting situation. And, um, and at least USDA has identified at least $3 million worth of sales that they say uh, the um, the producer who made those cattle sales ought to be at the first of the line when it comes to getting paid. So it's an, it's an interesting uh, twist on some of these complications that happen, uh, you know, when you have a situation that was, you know, obviously something involving fraud. Yeah. Very interesting situation. And uh, again, uh, I wasn't very familiar with the dealer trust act myself. uh, So interesting to take a look at all of this. And I know folks can uh, read about that story and other stories uh, that you and your colleagues have authored uh, very easily online, dtnpf.com. We've been talking today with DTN ag policy editor, Chris Clayton. Chris, really appreciate you uh, making the time to Join us for a conversation here on AOA today and uh, hope you have a great day. We'll look forward to talking to you again real soon. Hey, thanks for having me and uh, hope you guys have a good day as well. Again, Chris Clayton there, DTN Ag Policy Editor, joining us here on AOA today. Brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, power to perform. Up next, we're going to learn more about the passage of the Animal Drug User Fee Act with NCBA Chief Veterinarian Dr. Kathy Simmons. That's next on AOA Agriculture of America. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. 
And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference, bite by bite. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. On the October episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we continued our discussion about sustainable aviation fuel. Sarah McKay from National Corn Growers Association talks about some of the work they are doing on the policy side. We work really closely with policymakers to make sure that tax credits that are available are available to help promote corn ethanol to be used for these processes, and in particular, the adoption of the GREAT model as the carbon accounting method to help bring these technologies and, and bring these opportunities closer to the marketplace. Lindsay Bowers with NCGA's Market Development Action Team provides some of the farmer and grain merchandiser perspective to SAF and corn. From farmer and merchandiser point of view, market development is huge and significantly impactful for what it can mean for agriculture. Getting it to the point where it's consistently and reliably used. It's a game changer. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association. It's a show you don't want to miss. So how's harvest? Higher yield potential starts with the season-long systemic disease protection of Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides protect corn crops from key foliar diseases and support physiological benefits that help develop healthier, higher yielding corn for a difference you'll appreciate at harvest. Visit your FMC retailer for an at-plant advantage. Always read and follow all label directions. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles, and college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD, and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill, or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. 
Well, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association has hailed the reauthorization of the Animal Drug User Fee Act. It was a top priority for NCBA. That is now law. We want to learn more about this. Joining us now on the program to discuss NCBA Chief Veterinarian Dr. Kathy Simmons is with us. Dr. Simmons, thanks for joining us on AOA today. I hope you're doing well. Yes, Jesse, I am. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, tell us first off, the Animal Drug User Fee Act, uh, as I mentioned, a top priority for the NCBA. What exactly is ADUFA? ADUFA, or ADUFA as we call it, was uh, first authorized by Congress in 2003, and it amends the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act and allows the uh, FDA to collect user fees from the drug sponsors for certain activities that will expedite the review process for you know, marketing approved new animal drugs, as well as modernizing the new animal drug review program. So uh, these fees are, are intended to supplement the appropriated funding they already get, and they will enable FDA to maintain a stable workforce for the drug review and ensure a more timely and predictable review process. Prior to ADUFA, there was quite a backlog at the agency of these new animal drug approvals, and that was um, alleviated and, um, and benefited uh, the agency and the uh, producers, the drug companies, and the consumers by getting more of these new drugs on the market. Well, and I have to think getting uh, more of these new drugs on the market to, to help out with the health of our cattle herds is so, so important, Dr. Simmons, because as we know, there are uh, a lot of different infectious uh, diseases around the world that can potentially be an impact, isn't there? Yes, we need these new animal drugs to protect against emerging disease threats. And um, for this reason, any new animal drug approval process needs to not carry excessive financial or regulatory burdens that could stifle drug innovation and development. And and we were looking for a swift reauthorization prior to the September 30th deadline to give the assurance to these animal health stakeholders that there's a stable and predictable review process that they can get their products to market. As I say, to benefit the veterinarians, the producers, to keep animals healthy, and ultimately to benefit consumers through increased food safety and improved public health. And again, ADUFA, the Animal Drug User Fee Act, uh, now law and a good uh, Good thing to see that happen. Dr. Simmons, you know, you mentioned emerging diseases. Is there any one or two in particular that you are concerned about or that you're you're watching closely as the NCBA chief veterinarian? Well, we always look at these tick-borne diseases. I think vector-borne diseases, which are certainly uh, out there, ticks being a major vector of disease, um, are ones that we need to control. Uh, we have the new Asian longhorn tick, which is an exotic invasive species in about 19 states now, and that can carry uh, tyleriosis, uh, which we have not seen to any large degree in the United States prior to this tick. So I think there are diseases constantly that come in uh, because we do have a very global market anymore. Uh, and we are constantly, you know, trading um, worldwide, not only in animals and animal products, but in um, crops and other things that can bring in some of these vectors, you know, in the shipments, if not properly treated. Yeah, very, very true. Uh, FMD, foot and mouth disease, I know that's a talking point a, a lot uh, in, yes. in the cattle and beef industry. Any, anything new there that you're keeping an eye on at all? Well, we are looking to this new uh, farm bill that we're working on to uh, certainly reauthorize uh, the funding uh, for the animal health provisions. And that includes a vaccine bank, a national vaccine bank uh, for FMD vaccine. I think that's huge. There's also a, a program uh, where we are uh, giving grants to states and other um, organizations to develop preparedness programs for foreign animal diseases, such as FMD, the NADPREP program, as they call it. And uh, I think these are going to be important as we move into discussions for the farm bill. Fantastic. Well, Dr. Simmons, before we let you go, anything else final you'd want to mention uh, that you're keeping an eye on or anything else about ADUFA or uh, any other thoughts you'd want to share with us and our listeners today? Well, I think we, we all know that as cattle producers, 
uh, we prioritize uh, cattle health and well-being. And ADUFA is one way that we can get new tools in the toolbox for our veterinarians to help us to ensure a healthy cattle herd and a safe uh, and wholesome beef supply for the country. Well, we do appreciate the time with that. NCBA Chief Veterinarian, Dr. Kathy Simmons, thanks for joining us on Agriculture of America here today, and we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Jesse. And again, we appreciate her time. NCBA Chief Veterinarian, Dr. Kathy Simmons, joining us here on AOA Today. Well, uh, one news headline I want to share with you as well before we run out of time on the program here today. The U.N.'s Food and Agriculture Organization's Food Price Index, that edged lower to 121.5 in September, the lowest level since March of 2021. Now, that index was down slightly from 121.6 in August. Prices for vegetable oils were down 3.9%, a second decline due to lower prices across palm, sunflower, soy, and rapeseed oils. Dairy prices dropped 2.3%, a ninth consecutive fall. Meat costs dropped 1%, led by a drop in pork amid weak export demand from China and ample global export availabilities. Cereal costs increased 1%, and that included a 5.3% rise in coarse grain prices, led by a 7% climb in maize prices. Also, sugar prices soared 9.8% to reach a high last seen in November of 2010. Now, the rise in sugar prices, that came from increasing concerns over a tighter global supply outlook in the upcoming 23-24 season and forecasts of increased production declines in Thailand and India. All right, well, we are out of time here on the program today. Coming up on tomorrow's AOA, we'll get a geopolitical update with John Halsman. There is a lot going on around the world, of course, that we want to touch base on. We'll talk to John coming up tomorrow. Also, we'll have a conversation on the markets with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. And we'll be joined by Eric Mayberry, the president of the Tennessee Farm Bureau Federation. We're out of time on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home? And you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.